Welcome to Random Rewards, the one and only, the beautiful, the most exciting and most fun gamification show. Welcome to Random Rewards, the podcast where we discuss how to make business more fun with gamification. I am Sabrina and with me today is Chris. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk about the game today. But first, uh, I'll talk about a little bit how this works. We open by discussing a game, and we then we deconstruct how that game motivates users, because games are highly motivating. And then we use those insights to solve a random business problem. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite game series of all time. We're going to talk about the series and, and uh, a couple titles specifically, and that's Final Fantasy. Yay! <laughs> yeah. And if you'd like us to discuss a particular game, send us an email at randomrewards at octalysisgroup.com. That is exciting, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Final Fantasy. Wow. What a history I have with it. That could probably fill like 10 podcasts with just my history with Final Fantasy. Um, so we can, uh, I'll, I'll just talk about it briefly in case you don't know. Final Fantasy is a Japanese RPG series that started in 1987 and now has 15 main titles, which is quite weird that it's called Final oh. Fantasy. I'm sure no one in the history of the world has made that joke before. <laughs> um, and it and has many spin-off titles as well. So it's not, it's it's like, I don't even know, dozens of games at this point. It's crazy. Yeah. So what was, what's your experience been with Final Fantasy? So Final Fantasy was like one of the first, I guess, first RPGs I've ever played, really. Yeah. I was, uh, it was on PS1 and I played Final Fantasy IX. And I found it super exciting because it, it really was driving me into this new world and I could explore and I felt so immersed with it. I was playing all the time, all the time. Yeah. I tell you later about why I stopped, but <laughs> I was literally in this game. I felt like a character walking around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I remember being incredibly immersed in it. My first Final Fantasy game was Final Fantasy VII. And um, I guess wow. for those who don't know what a, what an RPG is, it's a role-playing game. And it's a game where you play a, a character or series of characters on a quest to do something, usually. There's usually a pretty, a pretty massive story to it. Um, and, and, but what is, you know, main to all RPG games is the mechanic of gaining experience points. And you gain these experience points, and usually that means you level up your skills or your weapons or your ability to kill monsters. Usually there's a core gameplay loop with RPGs where you start in a like safe place, like a town, and then you venture outside and you go kill, kill monsters, and then you come back to that same town or a different town. And it's kind of... It's this combat rest cycle that repeats itself that becomes just really addictive when combined with a really enthralling story and world. Yeah, especially with onboarding. Onboarding is usually quite a, a boring process where you just get to know what's going on in the world, where you actually are, yeah. what are your the things you can do, the game mechanics. But I really love it how some games or some RPGs are 
actually teaching you inside the game how to use your skills. So right. I think uh, also uh, Final Fantasy has done this really well, like in including the the skills that you have, the first combats that you have. I remember there was this, the first combat was in this castle and mm -hmm. you basically had a test fight right mm -hmm. away. Like you yeah. get thrown into it. Yeah. And the first time I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Oh, help, help, help me. But yeah. because of that, you learn all the techniques and all the tactics really quickly, actually. Yeah. Yeah, they do have great onboarding. I mean, I think they have to have good onboarding because the games become so complex. Mm -hmm. RP yeah. most complex games there are. There's so many different interlocking systems. There's always there's currency, there's monsters, there's different types of items, weapons, um, different side quests. You were you were talking about uh mini games. Like there's it's not just game but there's all these different little mini games yeah definitely there's like you for example with uh with the uh, final fantasy 9 you yeah. can open chests and inside those chests are for example cards i don't know if you remember that but yeah. with those cards you can do these little mini games i think they're called tetra master yeah and yeah, you basically battle against somebody else and that person can then win all the cards if you lose. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that worked anymore. I cannot remember it perfectly. Yeah. So maybe you know, or maybe the people who are listening to this know <laughs> and can write it in the comments in our Twitter page. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Final Fantasy. The, the 9 and 8 both had a really robust card game. So there's like this, there's main story, but then there's all these non-player characters in the world. Mm. That's another aspect of RPGs is there's always like, there's not just monsters, but in towns, there's always people you can talk to. I always really mm. enjoyed that because they really build out the world that you're in. Exactly. And the non-player characters you could walk up to and you could play cards with them. And and the card game was like looped into the rest of the the game because you could get these cards and then if you won them, they would be rare and you could sell them for money or you could make rare items. And, you know, the, the, every, every single thing you do in an RPG makes you feel a sense of progression. Definitely. And uh, with that, we should switch over to talking about core drives. Yes, I love that. And I think one of the most important core drives, and I'm, I'm sure you can, you can agree with me on that, is this epic narrative about saving the world. Right. And this is usually in RPGs, it's like the first thing you get to know. Yeah. You are on this epic journey yeah. and you are the only one, you are the selected one to save yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's never, you never have an RPG about like going to the store to buy milk. I mean, there was one, <laughs> there was one RPG kind of like that called Earthbound and... Uh, it eventually was the fact that you were a chosen one to save the world. Like you, it, it was like a satire on RPGs, but you still have that epic narrative. And I think, I'm not sure why RPGs are almost always like that. I think it's maybe because, you know, the makers feel like, well, if we're going to tell this really grand story, like it has to be epic. Like no mm -hmm. one's going to watch, you know, engage in a game that's like a hundred hours long if they don't feel like pulled into something really big in scope. Like, why would you even start doing it if there's no 
goal for you to basically have this like really huge change that you can cause like if it would just say like oh you can you can become something nice like a (laughs) the hero of the forest it's kind of like oh why would i want to be the hero of the forest i don't even know who's in the forest don't even know the people (laughs) i mean being a hero of the forest doesn't sound too bad you could like run with all the animals and depends how you set up the scene right sure sure you're not the homeless person in the forest in other words yeah (laughs) (laughs) if there's actually people in the forest and if there's actually a storyline around the forest then it would work yeah so usually rpgs start out really small so uh also i wanted to say core drives this is based on the octalysis framework there's eight core drives of human motivation if you don't know what those are um look it up it's really fascinating stuff. It's, we use it to dissect any kind of experience. So having said that, core drive one, epic meaning and calling, is combined with this sense of progression. That's core drive two, development and accomplishment. So almost always the characters, they start very weak or like very mm-hmm. ordinary. And the epicness of the story is reflected in your feeling of progression. So you're always, as I said earlier, you're getting experience points which means you level up your characters. Usually you're gaining levels. Uh, Final Fantasy series is like experimented with lots of different leveling systems. Uh, But usually you gain levels and you get more powerful and you're able to go back. Like almost always I would, I would encounter monsters early in the game and then I would get killed like super (laughs) hard. I would go to the wrong area and I I would find it was way too hard for me to kill. And then I would come back way later in the game and I would vanquish that monster and I would feel so good about it. And, and that's mm, one way definitely. that the game tracks your feeling of progress and your progress yeah. throughout the game. And in the beginning, you sometimes need to grind for hours yeah. just to get better stats, to be able to kill the first enemy. But you yeah. feel so engaged because you were so weak and you just yeah. failed so quickly that you're yeah. like, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. <laughs> and that's also because of that narrative in the end about yeah. saving the world, right? It's always in the back of your head, like, I can't like let them down already. Come on, like, I can't yeah. be so weak. <laughs> so there's this constant progress that you're feeling. You're feeling more and more powerful, more and more able to actually save the world and not just be this ordinary guy or girl that's trying to find some food in the forest (laughs) yeah i think that narrative is also powerful because if you're playing this game like i remember playing final fantasy 7 when i was 13 like you feel kind of insignificant in your life you don't feel like you have a lot of agency so Mm -hmm. so this kind of fantasy makes you like you kind of invest yourself into the story because it feels good to feel powerful and feel like you, you can affect the world at a big scale what, what other core drives do you see in this in these games? So I also feel there's a lot of core drive seven. So we've been talking about the narratives, right? Yeah. So everywhere you go in this world or in this in this uh, environment, yeah. there's always a narrative that's unfolding. And you mentioned also the the NPCs, the non-player characters. They have stories to tell too, right? So you can explore, you can walk around, wander around, and you always find something new, something that you haven't seen yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to, like, 
I was really into the story, but I would say I was equally into the world. Like I just wanted to see what the new thing, what was next, you know, what the new world looked like that was beyond this dungeon that I could, that Mm. I had to get through or kill that boss to see what was on the other side. So, so there's this macro core drive seven on predictability and curiosity. And there's also a micro there's like these, you know, there's always chess you can get with different items. And so you're, you're meant to explore. I mean, some games, so later in the series, uh, when the technological, like it was more important to create these really like beautiful cinematic games in final fantasy 13, they like restricted that sense of exploration so they made it to just running in like a straight line, basically killing mm-hmm. monsters. And there's still a story and the story is like in some ways more foregrounded. But when you reduce that CD7, it it takes away from the experience. It, it, a lot of mm-hmm. fans felt like, oh, this isn't my Final Fantasy. And mm-hmm. I I, in, in some ways, Final Fantasy itself is a very CD7 franchise because they're always taking new risks with different mm-hmm. types of games. Um, in Final Fantasy VIII, they, uh, I, you can tell I really like the series. <laughs> um, <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII, they made it so you don't, the monsters level with you. So you actually don't want to level up fast. Otherwise, the monsters will get too hard. You want to like find ways to evade them and like non com or you can find ways to evade them and non-combat. So that's basically like strategic. So, that, so that's a lot of quarter three as well. Yeah. So empowerment of creativity and feedback, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they're really strong in Final Fantasy on that. For example, the characters can also uh, use kind of boosters, right? Um, right. If they're doing, uh, if they're getting to like a focus, focused uh, mm-hmm. state, yeah. so they can like steal items or like I remember Vivi. Mm-hmm. was able to use black magic or something yeah. like that. And so you can do like two spells at the same time, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So you can boost your characters depending on what you're, how you're doing the tactics. Every, every character, like, again, depending on the series, depending on the game, but mm-hmm. in a lot of the games, the, the characters very individualized. They have individual yeah. progression paths. And so, you know, one of the main, so, so like I said, this kind of like, two different mode main modes in these games one is like exploring talking to people seeing the world and the other one's battling you even get like in many of the games you you just get whisked off to a different area Mm. like a different screen to do the battling yeah exactly and in the battling there's all that uh, strategy to use because you can switch out oftentimes you have a roster of characters so there's like 10 characters but you can only use three of them at a time so there's already mm-hmm. a strategy uh, in terms of who you pick for what fight and what abilities they have. Because they have Definitely. like, there's different types of, you know, characters have, like you were saying, uh, Vivi, who is the black mage in that game. But then there was also a knight who's like all about physical attacks. And then there's, you've got your healers who mostly do white magic and just help the party, but they have really, really uh, bad, like really weak attacks. So you don't want to attack the monster with them. So the battle becomes this like really strategic enterprise and it's not, it's also turn-based battling for the most part. Again, later in the series, it gets to more like action RPG where you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of fighting in real time, but the origins of the series were turn-based and 
What was cool about turn-based is you could take your time thinking about what am I going to do next? Am I going to heal this person? Am I going to attack a monster? Am I going to defend? Am I going to use a special attack? Am I going to special, you know, steal? So there's like so much core drive three in the battle system. Mm-hmm. I also feel like there's this world, but it's still linear in a sense. Mm-hmm. So unlike, for example, Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is like this totally open world right you still have a certain direction where you can go and for me that actually enables me to use more strategy in the end because Mm -hmm. i need to make a decision right which is interesting right because a lot of people feel a sense of 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 creativity when the world is more open but for me it's the opposite yeah if i have some structure i feel actually more creative right yeah, I'm remembering How our you, conversation about Breath of the Wild about yeah. that. How right. do you feel about that? Yeah. Um, so like I said, when you get to Final Fantasy 13, and uh that game is ultra linear, also Final Fantasy 10. Mm-hmm. Um but what what that what the effect of that is is it just makes me feel like I don't have enough choice. So mm-hmm. I like the structure that you're talking about. I, I think I really like it when I know where I'm supposed to go, but there's still other stuff to explore if I want. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Definitely. it's that exploration that really drives my behavior to keep keep the game going. The the exploration it drives my behavior, but then the leveling up kind of justifies it. It's like, mm-hmm. oh wow, I gained a few levels and I gained all this new weapons, and now I'm going to go fight monsters even more. That's yeah. the design that we've. So it's all about the balance, basically. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes and, well, you get the balance right. Sometimes, uh, yeah. For me, what I what I love is also if you walk around, mm-hmm. and you sometimes just click on random stuff, which you think like has no value at all. Yeah. There's sometimes hidden rewards in those too. So. You mean random rewards? <laughs> random rewards. <laughs> Why did I not come up with that myself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hidden rewards random yeah, rewards secret rewards i don't know what the word is it's it's like secret you it's not a fixed rewards. reward it's a type of reward but you don't not sure what it is until you get it anyway it's so yeah random. <laughs> i think you probably like final fantasy 15 then that's the most recent one mm-hmm. and that one has by far the biggest like widest open world there's still quests mm-hmm. and stuff to do but there's like so much random busy work to do i actually mm-hmm. didn't really like final fantasy 15 that much but uh mostly because it felt like there's this weird situation and and we'll talk about this uh in business this happens in business as well as the technology gets better mm-hmm. you want to hyper focus on the details and the scope doesn't isn't yeah. as big and the story gets missing a lot of story times. gets missing yeah yeah and they have all these different teams. I mean, if you think about, there's probably dozens of people who worked on the original Final Fantasy and there's hundreds of people working on the newer ones. And they're mm. such huge enterprises. They're more expensive to make in some ways than mm. movies. Um, it's just, it's like, how do you have like a unifying creative vision? I mean, some games do mm. it really well. Like Breath of the Wild did it really well. The Witcher does it really well. This open world narrative with side quests that doesn't make you feel completely lost but yeah i feel like i also feel like the stories have gotten a little bit weaker and like more melodramatic yeah. um mm-hmm. or i'm just getting older and i'm outgrowing final fantasy 
I think it's with a lot of things when when it gets too let's say there's there's too many people involved and it's it's the production is too high value there's a lot of loss that could happen as well so every little detail is kind of turned around and oh can we do it this way can we do it that way and right. it, there's just too too much and the whole all the little things that actually motivates people that right. actually derives behavior those sometimes get missing in all of that which is why we we are we're doing it the opposite way right we're looking at what actually motivates people and how right. can we drive that behavior right yeah yeah i think that's i'm really glad you brought that up that's like uh we and we didn't talk about this in the game context either core drive eight loss and avoidance but you need to know that you could lose something in order to to have a certain amount of focus to keep keep going so you know, the battle system has always got this edge of I could lose and I could lose my progress and I could lose these characters or I could lose mm -hmm. the opportunity to level them up or get these items. But I think in a greater sense, there's a core drive eight for the whole industry itself. Like the larger, Definitely. the more money gets at stake, the more they are apt to kind of succumb to fear. Yeah, which yeah. sometimes leads to not not being risk averse to, for innovation. Yeah. So you just don't want to take any risk. You want to go safe. So you just copy whatever worked beforehand, but you do right. it in a sense that has right. no surprise or reward for mm -hmm. the player when they play it. So it's kind of same, same again. Yeah. So it kind of loses its soul sometimes. Yeah. And I think this is kind of what happened with final fantasy 15 mm -hmm. and, and, what so I, it, then they did really weird stuff like they have like a cup of noodles truck like cup of noodles is like a thing you can get like it's an item <laughs> <laughs> and you can eat cup of noodles and it gives you like certain st stats and why am that's i getting, really hung weird. getting hungry now <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird though because it kind of takes you out of the fantasy of it because you're mm. like oh i'm now in a weird universe where cup of noodles exist like yeah, they're probably like me. They're like, oh my God, I'm hungry. I should eat something instead of playing a game. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like cup of noodles just so much money. They're like, we'll pay you $5 billion to put cup of noodles in this game. Yeah, desired yeah. action is basically eating some cup of noodles. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So um, we can go, we can move on to our next segment where we don't just talk about games. Uh, like you were saying, we talk about the motivations inherent in the games. And we build from the motivation outward when we design things. And so today we're going to talk about a random industry. And we're going to talk about how we could take these motivations, these same type that are so addictive in an RPG or create such addictive behavior and apply them to a different business. So exactly. drum roll. Okay, we're going to be talking about streaming media services, so like Netflix. Mm. Yes. I love Netflix. Yeah? It has saved, it has saved my whole uh, quarantine experience so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder, like, is this make even any sense to, like, create more addictive behavior with Netflix? Like, there's already so much. <laughs> that is true. You actually don't need that. <laughs> We yeah, already yeah. are. <laughs> we already watched so much of it. So you say you love Netflix. What's your experience like of watching Netflix? 
When I first started watching Netflix, it was actually not popular yet. I didn't really know anyone that was using it. Mm -hmm. But I started using it. And what I really loved about it was quarter uh, four, ownership and possession. Mm -hmm. So it really created a customized experience for me based on the movies I clicked. And I, I, I don't know why, if that is actually how it used to be, or if I'm remembering this wrong, but I remember clicking on all the movies that I liked. Like there mm -hmm. was sort of a selection of like, click, 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 click. I like this, I like that, I like horror, I like whatever. And yeah. it goes more and more into detail. And I remember back then I was learning um, about web design as well. And it was really inspiring to me how easy it was, how simple it was. So there's a lot of quarter of two as well, development and accomplishment. Yeah. Just by filling this out and it was still engaging because it had a lot of visuals. Yeah. And I would experience sort of, oh, I remember this movie. Oh my God, that was so great. Yeah. So it gives you that experience and it gives you that customized customization inside, yeah. inside your profile. And since then, I've never let it go. <laughs> I think that's when <laughs> probably a few, like half a years after Netflix started or something like that, yeah. I, I started with it. Yeah, I started using Netflix. Uh, I was actually living in the town where it was founded. Oh, my God. Scotts, that's Scotts amazing. Valley, California. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so I started using it when it was just a male DVD service. Wow. Yeah. Streaming. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. I was basically just after that because I remember that it was a, a DVD streaming. How did it work? I didn't even remember. How yeah. Yeah. Well, you had like, there was an interface and you had a queue and, and you just picked which movies you wanted to watch. Yeah. And then they would send you a certain amount. I think you could have three or four out at a time and they would send it back to you, send it to you. Then you would watch I it. remember the other ones until you sent them back. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you I just send them back and then they send them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ended up, I mean, it was good, but with, with ma mailing is such a high friction action for me mm. that I would always just like hold on to these discs for like so long, <laughs> which would kind of, <laughs> it's like you might as well have just bought the movie um, instead of paying a subscription service to hold on to it. yeah. But I did love it because you could get like special features, like DVDs had special features. And I'm a, you know, we, uh, when we talk about Netflix or when we talk about any business, we talk about user types. And so one of the user types is kind of a general consumer. So someone who will just watch whatever's on, whatever the friends tell them, or, you know, Netflix now has this like uh, top 10 feature so they'll just say ah oh, something in there i'll watch that tiger king sounds yeah good. Or th um, that's also the player that when i when i talk about customization yeah. it gives you all these recommendations of movies that's the player who would pick all those recommendations based on, on their interests right i was more of the kind of connoisseur or curator player type so i've been obsessed with movies i went to film school um, I, since, since I was like 15, I was reading on the internet about the making of films and I've pretty much read about the making of films like every day since then. So That's impressive. yeah, I have all this random knowledge about filmmaking. And so having DVD, like, like the, if you ever listen to like a director's commentary or like special features about making the movie, like 
Netflix gave you access to those things. And so I loved it. I could just pick, oh, I want to learn about my favorite director. And I could watch all the movies by them that they had. And I could like really, that was one of the ways to like really dive deep into the filmmaking process if you weren't like in a school or reading a textbook. That's great. I feel like I'm sort of in between the two because yeah. I'm really interested in like analyzing movies. Yeah. Like why did they use certain things? Why is the story that way? Yeah. Or what are metaphors of, of what they show? So right. I love to do that especially with movies where I feel like strongly, especially strongly quarter of seven. So yeah. I'm really curious about what's going on in the movie. So yeah. I, I would always try to find out what's going on there. What's actually going on. <laughs> no, I mean, not what happened. I mean, what's actually going on, what's behind the yeah, thinking yeah. of the movie maker. Yeah, so for example, for me, Parasite, yeah. um, the Korean movie was really yeah. interesting to me. Movies like that. I'm like, Oh, but why is it that way? Why yeah. do I use it that way? So I can kind of find out those there's so much, messages. There's so much to unpack if you actively watch a movie. Like you exactly. can kind of see it three-dimensionally. You can think like, why did the camera go there? And why why mm. was the actors have this performance? Yeah. Or why was the editing like that? And that Definitely. can be acting. Like it can take you out of watching a movie, um, but it can also really deepen the experience of watching. Yeah, definitely. I think so, I, I kind of got really into that sort of thing when I was at art school because we mm. would have a, a movie lecture every week where we just watch, basically we were just watching movies yeah, and then we're discussing what happened there and why. Right. And that got me so curious. We would watch literally like hundreds of movies in that year where I was there. So. Right. It's yeah, great. so it seems like the main motivational difference between those two user types is, you know, one of them is watching it based on curiosity. Mm. So, so why are these things the way they are? Oh, I wonder if there are more movies like this or, or something like that. Mm. Whereas someone could be watching it more to kind of escape, like a more yeah. general user might be using it because it's like, oh, I just habitually watch TV. I had mm. a hard day at work. I just want to relax. Yeah. Right. So, and I sometimes so, do both, actually. Yeah. Like, so I, I kind of pick and choose my movie based on that, too. I'm like, oh, today I'm too tired to actually think. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm choosing an easy movie. But yeah. when I want some more brain work, when I feel, when I feel like I need some inspiration, then I yeah. would watch a movie that actually triggers that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's interesting because it almost feels like we, depending on our mood, kind of shift between these two different user types, Definitely. like more yeah. general consuming or more active curation. Mm. I also, it's similar to final, the final fantasy series, Netflix is constantly innovating. So they started at the, with the mail in DVD style. Um, and then they moved to some streaming, like half streaming, half mail DVD. And now they've essentially just gone full streaming. And then the next innovation was they started doing, you know, cause it was all licensed content. It was like stuff yeah. you could find somewhere else, but all together in a package. And then they started doing their own original stuff. That yeah, was exactly. And now the most recent one is the, in, this interactive Netflix stuff. Yeah, these yeah. experiments that are going on as attempts to gamify watching things. 
So you're your, not just the person watching it anymore. You actually have the choice of changing yeah. the stories yeah. interactively, which yeah. is a totally other level, right? It brings yeah. so much choreography three empowerment yeah. of creativity and feedback into it. If the choice is relevant and empowering, I actually wrote about this in a article last year about Bandersnatch is that there can be core drive three, but only if your choices feel meaningful. If your choices don't feel meaningful, then it can almost feel like demotivating. You're like, oh, it didn't actually matter what my choice was. Mm -hmm. And that's really difficult when you're creating like high value content, content that takes a lot of money to produce. Because True. how can you make so many choices? If you make two choices, then that's already twice the amount of content you need to make. And then if those two choices each lead to two choices, and that's four times the amount of content and then it mm -hmm. increases exponentially. So you have to have the illusion of choice, which, but you have to not break the illusion because if you, yeah. yeah. And the, the problem though with it is it really triggers your curiosity. So mm -hmm. what I was doing after I watched Bandersnatch is yeah. obviously rewatch it. And it's yeah. probably one of the only episodes yeah in a series which i would watch right after i already watched it right so i'm wondering actually if that would if that would lead to a good good result in the end because i was kind of i was trying to find new endings and stuff and it was yeah. a little bit disappointing i mean there were different storylines i yeah. remember there were different storylines and stuff but it was a little bit underwhelming. So mm, what was underwhelming about it? It's just because it's still the same story, but then the illusion of that, it's a totally different. story. like you make the movie, you make right. the, the series is yeah. kind of gone. Yeah. So I think my idea of when I make a choice would yeah. have been like, it totally changes everything. Like right. even the setup, even maybe even I don't know who's in the in this series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. actually there? So it's yeah. interesting. I agree with you, and and that was kind of what the reviews said as well. They were very mixed. It was like this is an interesting experiment, but it's not really like it's. It feels like a gimmick. So far, hmm. so far, this interactive Netflix thing feels like a gimmick, and and gimmick means it's shallow. It means that it doesn't, it's not likely to promote like return watches, except for that first mm -hmm. initial binge where you're kind of like, oh, how far does this go? And what are the other choices? Okay, I'm done. Yeah. What, what I thought was really cool is the Netflix Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt interactive special. So what they did slightly differently is instead of saying like, oh, your choices matter, it was like almost like a joke, like your choices don't <laughs> matter, but it's fun to them anyway. And mm -hmm. so coming at it from that mindset, I started trying to do the patently wrong choices. Like in Bandersnatch, it's not <laughs> immediately clear like which choice is wrong. So you're like, oh, I'll go into this house or I'll walk down the street. It's like both of those seem pretty neutral. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, there's things like, oh, do you wait for this car to show up uh, that's like a thousand miles away or do you walk into town? It's like, obviously you don't wait. The car is going to take far too long but you want to click wait because you know it's a bad choice because mm -hmm. you're the fun of seeing what the response is. And then the game, and then the, you know, we talk about uh, win states. 
So win state is what happens after you take a desired action. So in this case, the desired action is make a choice. Uh, the win state can be rewarding or punishing, but we want it to be rewarding. And so the way they make it rewarding is they make it part of the joke. So, so <laughs> when I click wait, it, it cuts to an image of like the two main characters, like skeletons on the ground. Like they waited far <laughs> too long <laughs> and like starved to death. And then the Uber driver shows up and he's like, what? No what? stars. And then drives away. And it's like really, really funny. <laughs> Right. So that was an interesting way to play with this medium. Like instead mm -hmm. of saying it's not a gimmick, I swear your choices matter. And then yeah. you see the illusion instead. It's like, no, it's definitely a gimmick, but it's a way for you to like control, like when the jokes happen in a sense. Interesting. Yeah, so they don't yeah. really take it as serious as in Bandersnatch where it's really just about that. Right. Yeah. It makes you feel like it's super important to do these decisions. Yeah, that's interesting. And well, I feel like, like yeah. what you said that you're making the wrong choices. Yeah, because you want to know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. And that often happens to me in games as well. So I, yeah. I <laughs> totally, <laughs> I knowingly just do the bad things, which yeah. makes like the other characters angry or <laughs> right yeah it just makes you it, I, i can't remember which game that was but some games you can actually play them and depending on your decisions you become a certain personality type or yeah. like a, a sort of like an evil character or a good character which i yeah, love yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Mass Effect is, is one of those games where you yeah. have like dialogue yeah, yeah. choices and things and uh, exactly and you've treated differently. That would be pretty funny. So so imagine a exactly yeah. Imagine like a you know a, a sitcom or any kind of sort of lighthearted story, but you make an initial choice that like you know do you kick this puppy down the stairs or something like that, <laughs> and it's like. Argh! down the stage and then for the rest of the show it's just a different version of the same episode except everyone hates you exactly and that's what i kind of <laughs> thought would bandersnatch would would happen yeah so yeah that that the whole outcome yeah. would change the story based on like your character and Right. what you're what you're supposed to be doing in in the experience in the game basically yeah. i've actually seen some trials of that mm -hmm. which was on the switch there were was a game i cannot remember the title unfortunately hmm. but you would need to go through a, a trial like a yeah. a sort of four questions i think mm -hmm. and you can choose based on your personality, like, oh, I'm going to do the nice thing. I'm going right. to do the bad thing, or I'm going to do the neutral thing. Right. And based on that decision in the beginning, the story would totally change. It would right. totally be different. And that was all just videos as well, like just video frequencies. And mm. it was interesting to, to see that my character would change and people would get really angry with me because I would cho choose to be the bad guy. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> people started screaming at me, throwing stuff at me and <laughs> being super angry instead of like when I played it as a nice person, yeah. it was sort of like super nice and everything was okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 
But the the issue is the content creation has to basically it has to increase at the rate that your choices increase. So that's I think mm-hmm. that's the hard problem that is needs to be solved for gamification to become something more than a gimmick, mm-hmm. really. Um, or they just throw more money at the problem, right? They're like, oh, every time we do an episode, a one-off interactive, it's going to be like four times as expensive as mm-hmm. a normal episode because there's that much more content. But yeah, I, I'm curious. So say a streaming media company comes to us and they say, hey, we want to innovate our interface or innovate our experience and we love the game Final Fantasy. What would we not do? What would be the bad choice? Yeah, so we would definitely not pick like all the things that Final Fantasy has done. Yeah. Like, hey, there's some cool uh, medieval characters. Let's take some cool medieval characters. We need that in our business. Right. Then maybe what what else do we do? We have a level up system. Oh, okay, let's smash a level up system there. Experience right. points. We definitely need experience points, right? Yeah. So it's and not battling. just about yeah. Let's have a battle. Exactly. Battle of watching. You're like watching a movie, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, there's a battle, <laughs> and you're like, "What?" Exactly. Like, use your remote, <laughs> and you're like, "What? How do I do that?" Yeah, that would be perfect, right? So. Yeah, so gamification is not just about smashing some game techniques on a experience or into a business. It's really about the long-term engagement. Like, how do we create long-term engagement? And we need to look at, at, you know, picking the right motivational techniques to motivate the users. And we have talked about the player types, right? We need to look at that. And then we also need to look at, okay, what is the business metric? What is it actually that we want to reach? So for example, for a, for a streaming service like Netflix, it might be the total subscribers or revenue growth. And based on that, we can then look at the actions that the the players actually need to do and see what are the steps that people actually go through in how can we motivate them? What triggers do we need? What rewards do we need to motivate right. them to go through an experience? Right, exactly. And, and this is a super, super short version of what we actually do. <laughs> super short. <laughs> yeah, some of those desired actions I would assume would be like, like search, search the interface, find a show, click a show to find out more, um, yeah. watch the show. That's, that's a pretty big one. Um, and then tell your friends about the show. Like I know that, you know, these, all the streaming services are not just Netflix, but Amazon and HBO and Warner brothers. Um, I guess those YouTube. are the same thing now. Disney plus <laughs> all of them are also has streaming. So. Uh, they're, yeah. Yeah. they're all, they're all trying to create these like massive hits that create a cultural conversation around. They're all trying to make like the next mm. game of Thrones or, or something like that that becomes this like cultural juggernaut. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, there's a lot of core drives that are in that already. Just make good content. But let's say, you know, we're brought in to do gamification. How would we gamify the interface, the experience and that kind of thing? So the first thing that I notice is, is that there's a hard limit on the interface. Uh, And what that means is like the way to interact with the interface is very limited. And I think this has made 
the innovation of the gamification of Netflix specifically kind of limited itself. So they've done this choose your own adventure format that they that was also popularized like by the uh, the Walking Dead, the Telltale Walking Dead series, um, and other series before the Telltale did, where all you have to do is click like you have the directional buttons where you're clicking left to right and then enter right. So you only need three buttons really, mm-hmm. um, and maybe a button to like back out right, an escape button. So that is doable with a TV remote. But if you want to start adding other things, other things that require real-time input, uh, multi, multi-direction real-time input, it starts to need to look more like a joystick or, or voice command, voice recognition. Mm-hmm. And so with the limitations of the current tech, I see why they've, they've kind of centered on this way of doing interactivity. But I do think it's pretty limiting. So I know my experience, like, Doing it is, is it's like, it's not quite like a movie. You can't just sit back and relax. Like you have to be ready at some point to make a choice, but it's not quite as engaging as a game either because you're not making second moment to moment decisions. You're not like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to get out of the way of that boss fight. You know, that, that boss swinging a sword or I've got to, you know, make all of these strategic decisions. And so I need to think about it and like open up this menu and click this item like the complexity <laughs> is incredibly simple. I was actually just thinking it'd be actually really cool if, for example, in Game of Thrones, you yeah. suddenly need to battle <laughs> the White Walkers. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine suddenly the screen freezes and like it says, "Okay, now it's your now it's your turn." Yeah. Fight. <laughs> you're like what? What's happening? Help! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, want to kill Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I think this also goes to I mean, then we talk about different player types like are the same people who want to watch something like passively consume it, are they the same people who want to play something? Exactly. There that actually I I thought about this just now. I was hmm, the people who don't really want to interact with it who just basically watch it to relax and enjoy and just you know, yeah. want that simple entertainment, yeah. would they even want to actually interact with it? Because they yeah. might just want to sit back and relax and they're not interested in actually doing something. Right. So that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. That being said, uh, the, you know, the game industry, the amount of people who play games is like growing. It's growing every year and it's surpassing, at least in revenue, uh, it surpassed Hollywood. It's a pa- surpassed mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this content creation places. So, yeah. so if you cater to the gamer, but also give the ability for people to opt out, like you're saying the, with the white walkers and game of Thrones, say that was an optional battle. Mm-hmm. You could say, Hey, do you want to fight this battle? If you do, you'll get, you'll be able to unlock extra stuff. So it's like the exactly. battle itself is fun. And then maybe you could unlock like special features, like the, like the DVD commentary stuff. Mm-hmm. And that would be really cool as a, as a way to reward people for engaging more deeply in the game. Definitely. Uh, I think that's probably more likely to happen with, with all CG created things. Like, like now, um, I'm not sure if you've seen the most recent Epic, uh, the Epic tech demo for the new Unreal Engine. 
No, I haven't. Oh, you haven't? Yeah, yeah. So that's for PlayStation 5, I believe. And so it's really, it's getting very photorealistic. It's getting very close. And so I think you could easily have a game that was like a movie in one sense, but then you could actually fully play it and you could use, Netflix could be a portal to playing it. But you would need the same tech. So you'd need to make the movie inside of the Unreal Engine. And you would need some way to interact with it that was mm-hmm. not your TV remote. So what I'm thinking is we could, if, if, if they were to ask us, right, if, if a streaming service were to ask us, I would say we can start playing with what can you do on your phone to interact with mm-hmm. the interface? Because your phone, you can play Fortnite on your phone to use another exactly. unreal example. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the ability to interact with your phone is already really high and everybody has a phone. So you don't have to make a bunch of new controllers and like send them to everybody who has Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I, I think that innovation in this sense, like gamification innovation would have to go hand in hand with tech innovation. Definitely. Because I mean, how well, would you? Yeah. You're going to say? How would you go along with quarter of one, making it feel more like a saving the world or mm. making some like epic narrative out of it? Because at the moment, I feel the movies already have that narrative, right? So you can't really, you can't really build something around it yeah. unless it would basically create a totally new world. And then, and then it, it's kind of irrelevant. Like right. nobody's going to really go for that because you're interested in the movie, not in what's going around, around it. Well, it dep- yeah, it depends. So, so core drive one, Epic meaning and calling is the, it's more effective, the more believable it is um, when it comes to real world stuff. So you're talking about real world versus fictional world. Cause the fictional world, yeah. you know, the, the, the directive is make an epic narrative, <laughs> like make it, make the content <laughs> epic, right? Um, like game of Thrones or whatever. So if we wanted to tie it to the real world, you could say, Oh, well maybe we're giving people in developing countries more of a platform to document and be creative and make films and your actions watching this platform helps them do that. Not just developing countries, but people who don't have access to technology. Like spreading this technology and giving people a platform for it. I was thinking about pairing it with quarter at five even. So Mm -hmm. everyone in, uh, in a first world country. Yeah and basically help somebody in the third world country automatically by their actions on the platform. So what would happen is, for example, you sign up with Netflix and you do the desired actions by signing up with a, I don't know, monthly package, yearly package. And based on that, it will send somebody in, in in the third world country a device where they can watch the movie in a different way. For example, like you said, with a phone that they can use and interact. So that would be really cool because, for example, I was thinking about when I lived in South Africa, there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of people that, like still there's not that many people who have like certain smartphones. So a lot of people still use like these old, like clap phones and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... 
So those would be useless, right, to use on an interactive experience. But what if it's actually that people are sponsoring these yeah. developments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. And that would be cool if it was paired with the narrative. So if you were doing a narrative that was, or an interactive uh, Netflix series that was about like finding and spreading technology to people so that they could tell their stories. That was like what the documentary series was about. And then as you interacted with it, then you like generated money for that charity to give to more people. And mm -hmm. then those people, it would be really cool as if the series also allowed you to do things like vote on their stuff or, or give them kind of like feedback in some way and then they they as creators could create something and then show it back to you so then netflix becomes more it like opens up a part of its platform mm -hmm. to like show stories that we don't usually see it's not just about these like highly polished experiences so that that would be like going way deep into the core drive one core drive five arena what what i was just thinking about now is when you have the end game users, right? So the people who have been on the platform for a long time. Yeah. So for them, it's really repetitive. So yeah. they might want to see something a bit new. So yeah. what they could maybe do is create different scenarios mm -hmm. in the movie yeah. and different outcomes, things like that, just mm -hmm. based on storylines. It doesn't even need to be, you know, like they're like a whole new movie, like filming <laughs> That, right, obviously, right, right. but just scenarios and things leading to other like little stories. Maybe they can write a yeah. storyline, and it might even be an extra that would be filmed in the movie, like before the movie even comes out, like for the second season or something like that. Right. Or they have the power to to link certain sections in the movie. To yeah. an article which where they can write about what could happen instead, or about right. metaphors or things for those people who are really interested in yeah. in more of the analytics of it and kind of like a discussion forum or yeah, could be quite oh, interesting, be interesting to to include that. That would be interesting because right now. So, so one of the main business metrics that, you know, why, why these streaming companies want these big hits is because then it creates all the conversations about it, but that conversation mm -hmm. takes place off the platform. So what if it took yeah. place on the platform? You could have like exactly. literal forums about each, each movie. And so every movie becomes this like, or, or series or whatever becomes this like portal to a whole world of like extra mm -hmm. information. And so you don't have to leave the platform to like really immerse as deeply as you want for the people who just want to sit back and watch it. Great. But then other people have all these interactive pieces. They can talk with other people about it. There's these like discussions, there's all this extra information interviews and all this stuff that gets attached to each, each, yeah, each series. Yeah. I'm actually thinking of, of an experience. I, I use a streaming platform for Korean dramas mm -hmm. and there you see the comments of the people. You yeah. can show those during the movie. Yeah. And actually it can be really annoying, right? So yeah. you don't always want to have that, but it can be really, really entertaining as well. Yeah. <laughs> so 
<laughs> you can see the comments and the sort of the the analysis of the people like right right next to watching the drama right. and i think it's especially because it's a very serious topic like romance yeah. and you know like it's very like very romantic and lovable and you know like yeah. crying but then it's like jokes and stuff like that about <laughs> the actors like yeah 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 it's, it's kind of light-hearted so that would be really cool that i i was thinking like you could sync with your cell phone too so you could yeah because i don't know about you but i know a lot of people these days like they're on their phone while they're kind of passively watching something mm. so imagine mm -hmm. if you could if one of the things you were doing on your phone was related to what you were watching. So you yeah. could like be in a chat, you know, with other people who were watching it live, or you could like overlay exactly. that chat over Netflix while you were and watching it. Actually, this is a big thing because these days, and a lot of people think like, what you're watching movies with your friends while you're yeah. in quarantine. How? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're watching it online together. And then we're either on the phone on a zoom call or, yeah. We're on, there's a, a streaming platform as well for that, yeah. that closed down now, but now we usually do it on Zoom or Discord. So yeah. we just watch movies there. We're streaming together yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. It's actually yeah. fun. It feels like we're sitting together. Each person has like popcorn or some ice cream and something to drink, maybe a glass of wine. And yeah. it's great. And you don't even need to be in the same time zone, right? You don't need to wait for a movie to stream like in life, in, yeah. in a live session. Like on YouTube, you always need to go live like the, the, the right time to be in the chat, for example, the super chat. Right. And that's also an interesting thing, by the way, the, yeah. the super chats in the, in the YouTube mm -hmm. streaming session. So if YouTubers do a live streaming you right. get this uh, comment section opened up where you can also uh, donate money. So that could yeah. be something that could link to that core drive one epic meaning and calling that we were talking about too. Yeah, you're working cool. with with the with the first world, third world countries. So right, right, right. Yeah, you could donate money, or you could allot money to like, you know, if you really loved something you were watching, you could like donate a little bit of money for them to, to build more. And yeah. then maybe Netflix matches it or something like that. And maybe yeah. it, you create some scarcity. So it's like only a certain amount of time. So everybody's watching at the same time. And yeah, you can yeah. Almost, almost merge it a little bit with like a Kickstarter, you know, like right. the sort of pledges. So yeah. when you pledge a certain amount, you get a certain reward. So yeah. maybe you get mentioned in the series or in the movies. Right. Yeah, maybe you become more, maybe the more you interact with Netflix and the various yeah. properties, you yourself level up your ability to influence things. Maybe you can even become an extra or something like that if you're like a super user. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you yeah, become cool. a super user, yeah, yeah, you become And an they always extra. search for extras, right? Like it's not <laughs> that people never need extras. Yeah, exactly. So that's like a type of reward that could be very scarce, but it could like drive a lot of motivation. Like who wouldn't, exactly. if you're already watching stuff, like why wouldn't you interact with it in a certain way hmm. so as to be able to be eligible to become an extra? Definitely. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of room to grow. And I think as the, as the lines between like what is media that we consume and media that we interact with blur, I think, these kinds of things will happen more and more. 
I think right now, you know, it's, it's probably there's, there's so much more to play with than like a choice, right? Two, two choices. And it's not a real choice. And it's like similar to what you've already seen. So I, I don't think, I don't think interactive narrative is going away. Um, I just think it's kind of in its growing pains right now. Like it's kind of trying to figure out how to be in, in the, in the way that people really like, not that feels like a gimmick. I think so too. And remember thinking back of in the times where we had these build your own adventure games. Yeah. That was basically the beginning of the first structure of a game. Yeah. And then from or for for a video game, I mean, like an RPG, yeah. for example. Yeah. yeah. So, and then what happened is kind of very different to what yeah. it was before, right? So, so I think there's a lot of room, and I'm quite excited to see what's going to happen in the future with it. Especially yeah. also when we think about things like VR and yeah, it yeah, all comes yeah, yeah, together, yeah. right? So the metaverse. Yeah. MR. Yeah. Well, VR. if you think about where Final Fantasy started as this like. 8-bit, barely recognizable to where it is now with like (laughs) traveling around a like beautiful open world and like, you know, eating cup of noodles because because it advertises inside of a game. Like that's not at all. That's that's like what, 30 30 something years. So Netflix has only been around for 15 years or something like that. So it's developing quick. Yeah, I remember when I was uh, when I was what uh, when I was playing Final Fantasy IX, mm-hmm. I would get stuck in the middle mm-hmm. of the game and I yeah. could not play it anymore. Yeah. So that's why I quit because I was literally stuck because there was a bug in there. No. Now imagine that, right? So imagine Netflix is already on a much higher net level. Yeah. But they have so much room to grow. So yeah. yeah. Quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's very exciting, exciting times. So we'll probably wrap it up there. We could talk about this for hours. There's so Whatever. many places interactive <laughs> narratives could go in the future. Yeah, you can see we're really passionate about this topic. So yeah. I think as well, that's it for today, right? Yep. So Chris, where can they find you if they want to write you a message? I'm at Chris underscore Tommaso on Twitter. And what about you, Sabrina? I am at, at user adventure on Twitter. And we also have our own page at random reward on Twitter. So you can chat with us there, send us some cool random rewards, or you can also email us at random rewards at octalysisgroup.com. If you like to join our community, you can also check the Facebook Octalysis Explorers group. And yes. yeah, what, and what else see, is there to see? You can also see our case studies at octalysisgroup.com where we've exactly. driven high ROIs at various businesses. Exciting. Yeah, lots to check out. This is the oh, and own world your, unto itself. Your article about Bandersnatch is also on octalysisgroup.com in That's the right. blog section. So check That's, that out. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Been exactly. meaning to also write about uh, the... Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and the differences and where Netflix can go from there. So look for that in the future. Yep. Until our next rewarding time together. Yes. I hope it's soon. I hope it's soon. 
<laughs> Until our next epic, <laughs> epic boarding time together. Until our next random rewarding time together. Until our next hate rewarding <laughs> time together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And see you next time. Uh, <laughs>